Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Emergencies. In today's episode, Dr. Verena Wild, Deputy Director of the Institute of Ethics, History and Theory of Medicine at Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich and one of our project collaborators, discusses the relationship between vulnerability, gender and care during the COVID-19 pandemic with Professor Dr. Villa. Professor Villa, a professor of sociology at the Ludwig Maximilians University, discusses the biopolitical and sociological aspects of vulnerability and the feminization of care work during the pandemic. This is Just Emergencies, the podcast where we show that global health emergencies are anything but just. In each episode, we'll explore an issue, question or event that makes us think about global health emergencies, humanitarian crises and how to best respond to them. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, I welcome Paula Villa from the Ludwig Maximilians University Munich to our podcast. Thank you for coming, Paula. So great for you to have me. Thank you. Um, the first question is, who are you and what is your background? <laughs> Um, I'm a sociology professor with an emphasis on gender studies at, as you said, LMU in Munich. I've been uh, in this position for 11 years now, really quite a while. Um, and my research focuses on what we might call biopolitics in general, issues of embodiment, issues of the um, intersection somehow of the somatic, the bodily, and the politi political, the social, the cultural. So I've researched on a wide range of topics in this realm, for example, cosmetic surgery or nutrition, eating or fitness, um, these kind of things. Um, I also do a lot of social theory, working on the notion of gender, for example, or yeah, sociological perspectives on um, difference, etc. And one also, I think, for our conversation today, may maybe important issue I've been working on for years now is care, and especially again the intersection of gender and care. So, um, how. Gender informs what we consider care work, how care work, again, is part of um, gender um, roles or ideas around gender. And I've been doing a lot of empirical research in this context as well. So that's mainly who I am in a mm -hmm. professional sense. Mm -hmm. So we're currently experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic. How would you describe your understanding of vulnerability in the context of this pandemic? Hmm. I think that's a super important question and topic. I'm not sure I've got a final answer somehow, but I think it's really important to think about vulnerability within this context of COVID, of the corona crisis, of a pandemic. Um, and it's really important to think through and to understand this pandemic through a lens of vulnerability. So I think that vulnerability is a really basic issue, which is often overseen or often, I think, misunderstood because logically, um, perhaps not each, but many disciplines have kind of their understanding, our understanding of vulnerability. But in fact, 
I think it's really important to um, think and understand vulnerability as really a multidimensional issue. So no one discipline will do. Mm-hmm. What I think is really basic about vulnerability is that it's a kind of actually a trait, a feature, a condition, an aspect of all living, of all that lives, whatever species that may be, uh, be it a big ecosystem or uh, an individual cell or all life forms in between, also in terms of scale, all of them have a kind of vulnerability or are open towards being vulnerable. And this is because all living beings are affected. We all share an affectedness. No living kind of being is a thing that is in itself autonomous. So anything that lives will invariably depend on other beings and will be connected to other beings or other objects or, you know, however we want might want to call them. And that's a really tricky issue. But for, for the time being, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that what lives is affected and, and, and can be affected. And this always implies vulnerability. So in a sense, vulnerability is, for example, for us humans, um, a kind of really basic anthropological or, or condition of our lives. And that's really universal. So there it is also in this pandemic, a kind of universal um, openness toward being towards being affected by the virus. And the virus, in fact, doesn't discriminate whether you're old or young or white or brown or German or Indonesian or uh, male or female or other gender, whatever. So it, th- th- there is a universal uh, issue to that. But again, on the other hand, the specific way of being vulnerable and the specific resources we might have to deal with this vulnerability and the specific approaches um, we are framed kind of by in regards to our vulnerability is super differentiated um, because societies as a whole and we as individuals and organizations and social structures do discriminate along specific lines. That's where I think kind of sociological understanding is important to understand how social differences and social inequalities, for example, by class, by age, by gender, by income, by region, um, make us vulnerable in specific ways. So the, the universal vulnerability becomes a very specific issue um, according to whether you have money or not, you have access to a health system or not, uh, whether you can afford a certain treatment or not, and these issues. So vulnerability is, um, in this context, as you asked, in the pandemic, is it's important to see that there is something universal that connects all of us and that we could build a solidarity on, um, you know, the, the notion that we are all vulnerable. But it's as equal important to see that at the same time, vulnerability is very unequally distributed because of the social differences um, that mark vulnerability. Um, So that would be the kind of biopolitical aspect that links vulnerability to the pandemic and then with a lot of many detailed issues that go along with this kind of general framing. So that would be my kind of general answer to Mm -hmm. your question. Mm -hmm. 
Let's have a look at one specific issue. How do you make sense of gender in the context of the pandemic? Right. Gender is really a core social difference and a core structure of social inequality, as I mentioned before. And I think that gender um, is actually in this pandemic very important, crucial even in two ways. So one would be maybe that that one um, that people might think of as more biological or medical, and that is the important differentiation through gender um, or the gender divide, some may even say in terms of um, the effects of the infection and of the pandemic itself, the mortality rates, the risk of uh, being seriously affected by uh, the virus, um, the question whether women and men are uh, affected by the, the virus and, and, and the disease in different ways. And we, we know that there are in certain regions, at least, really an important uh, gendered kind of um, difference in regard to mortalities, etc. And there it is um, important to see that these kind of, as one might say, sex-based differences are always also already gendered sexed difference. So we could say men and women have different mortality rates in the US or in Germany or in some other place, okay. But a second and a third look in, in well done research um, shows that um, these kind of medical uh, issues and these variables are always already informed by gendered experiences and gendered life circumstances, as we know from any other research, that it's not because of kind of a certain genetic disposition, maybe disposition that men uh, have a slightly lower life expectancy than women, um, but it's mainly due to different lifestyles, more risky, less health, less healthy, etc. So I think the same might be true for the pandemic. And I think there is still a lot of research to be done there uh, in, in this realm. And the other dimension where gender is important, I know more of that, is in relation to care uh, and in relation to um, who does which jobs and how important and how, uh, how, how relevant is that within the pandemic. And we know that, and that's very clear and that's really universal, it's uh, worldwide even, that, for example, all... Um, jobs that are related to the care sector, nursing and caring after elderly and working in hospitals and um, caring after children, etc. These are overwhelmingly women's jobs. This is, this is feminized labor because of historical reasons. And thus, the whole kind of system that now in the pandemic situation depends on people working in hospitals, people taking care of elderly or sick or of children, etc., are mainly women. Um, and that is one aspect. The other aspect where gender is really important also in uh, regard to care is what we've been going through and still are in homeschooling, home office, um, the whole kind of confinement issues, really going and pushing so much into and back and on families is by no means the family as such, but it's mainly mothers and women doing the enormous share. So that's very clear. That's very clear in the German situation, but also 
in many, many other parts of the world, um, the burden of uh, taking care of children, of the private uh, house, of, of all this, what's, you know, the chores, everything that has to be done is, um, again, feminized, is women's labor. So those who are suffering probably more disproportionately um, and most are women in all sectors. I mean, uh, now from this pandemic situation, colleagues in academia, we're seeing this now, there's evidence coming in. Um, female scientists are publishing a little bit less than men because they have less time to write papers, as we both know in the situation we are in, actually. Um, but also, you know, the, the, the nurse in the hospital, the uh, single mother with children. So women are much more affected in a negative way by the current uh, crisis than, than men. And this really on all levels of the social. But the, of mm -hmm. course, there are some women which are more privileged than others. That's also true. So it's always important to look at this gender and care issue in an intersectional way, as we say, so that it's not it's never gender alone, but it's always linked to other social differences and and inequality structures. So it's a social position that's marked by gender and other differences. But um, yeah, the, the care issue is feminized and it's super crucial to the whole pandemic crisis right now. Some say this is throwing back women into the position they had in the 1950s or mm. something like that. Do you think that's true? Not quite. I think it's important to have these warnings and to look at it. And to, so I'm, I'm thankful for those who are kind of ringing the alarm bell in that sense. But I think it's over-dramatizing, uh, to be accurate. I think there is a risk of a certain maybe rollback. And really speaking from the German uh, situation, this is a really, really realistic uh, risk. Um, um, that, you know, people kind of fall back into automatic gendered practices and structures. Um, but again, then again, I don't think it's that strong. I mean, there are really important achievements and, and progress that has been done and made. And um, I don't think it's that dramatic. But I think there are uh, reasons to be kind of, I don't know, worried, but to be, you know... Um, to watch out for these issues mm -hmm. and really pay attention to them. And uh, we'll see what, what, what we'll get now from research that's being done right now in, in, uh, in social sciences about how the situation is. And it's important to look at then the evidence that comes out. But um, I think it's important to be kind of alert, but I wouldn't put it that stark. I, I wouldn't dramatize. Mm -hmm. And um, would you have a recommendation to either individual women or to um, policy I'd always go for the political and the policy side and not so much for the individual people because I don't think that we as um, scholars and academics should kind of give advice or think that we know what individuals should do. And, you know, people are adults and grown-ups and they do uh, take their, you know, they, they make their decisions. But what's really clear is that um, policy, and I think that's true for many parts of the world, for sure it's true in Europe, um, families, care, mothers uh, are really sort of almost last on the political agenda. Um, they don't have a lobby as such. 
So we've seen this in Germany really clearly, you know, the automobile industry, the Lufthansa, all sorts of, you know, branches of the market are being served and catered because they have a lobby and they're getting, you know, they're kind of um, subventioned by the state. They're getting money. It's all kind of taken care of, but the family is not. So the kids are at home and it's always like, yeah, mommy will take care. So it's not really made a political issue. And I think that's really a huge scandal. So I do think that policy is um, to be addressed here and there have to be financial tax-wise whatever as of um, um, compensations. compensations refunds something that really supports families and especially mothers but in general families uh, that they get much more support really in terms of money and resources um and rewarded for you know the 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 work we're all doing right now we don't get six weeks of vacations now in the summertime but we have you know kind of managed half of a school year um, Mm -hmm. so far so Mm -hmm. that has to be somehow taken care of in a much more structured political way uh and that shouldn't be kind of left for us as individuals alone to manage somehow because that generates huge inequalities some Mm -hmm. of us are capable of managing this and it's okay you know i don't lose my job i'll get a good salary as a full professor whether i write a paper more or not nobody cares but for many other women for many other parents for many other families um, they don't have the privilege of having a big flat, a nice garden, of being flexible and uh, in terms of time. And these families are desperate. They just, you know, they're they're way beyond what is um, really acceptable. So I think that's a political issue. Yeah. Thank you very much, Paula. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. An honor. Mm-hmm. So that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Episode transcripts are available below the episode description. We also have show notes on our website, where we not only list all the references mentioned in this episode, but also give you some further resources if you're interested in learning more about today's topic. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes, please email us at ghe at ed.ac.uk. We're also on Twitter as at Mitra and Rev underscore Richards. Be sure to check out and explore our website, Justice and Global Health Emergencies and Humanitarian Crises. For more great content, just go to www.ghe.law.ed.ac.uk forward slash. Thanks for listening and see you again for the next episode. This podcast is edited and produced by Rebecca Richards and made with funding from the Wellcome Trust.